listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and welcome to Friday. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. We want to go to London, England, and this breaking news. You heard it in the news. A man has been shot dead after a series of stabbings on the London Bridge. This has been declared a terrorist incident. Now, what happened, according to suspects or according to witnesses, is that the suspect began stabbing people and then was tackled by police. According to police, he was wearing a hoax explosive vest. And now there is video that has just emerged from this, and I want to play the audio for you of this. He has a knife. Now, what the uh, what the video shows, what you hear there, is people filming of what you can see, is the man has already been tackled to the ground, and a bystander picks up what is clearly a large knife and runs away from the scene. The camera pans back to the man who is on the ground. Obviously, authorities have him and have him pinned down. And that's when an officer, as you can see, pulls out a revolver, is aiming at him, And suddenly, all of the officers around the man scramble away from him, and the shot is fired. And that is when you heard the bleeps there and the exclamation after the shot fired. This is still an ongoing situation, but police are treating this as a terror-related incident. Again, a number of people stabbed in London, and a man shot dead by police. Police now saying that that man was wearing a hoax explosive vest that will continue to develop throughout the course of the day stay here with us on global news radio for the very latest from london england moving a little closer to home who is telling the truth in the education file as you know we are headed towards a one-day walkout on wednesday for secondary school teachers announcing yesterday giving six days they're required to give a five-day notice they gave six-day notice of an increase in labor disruption and in this case a one-day walkout for high schools across this province if there is not a deal now who is telling the truth when it comes to the back and forth and trying to win the hearts and minds of the public for example is this the truth this is harvey bischoff the head of ossstf speaking on this radio station earlier today we now have dates scheduled beginning Saturday morning, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But when the minister got to the podium and said that he had, through the mediator, proposed dates and we hadn't accepted them, that was absolutely Mm -hmm. untrue. That is Harvey Bischoff saying that what Stephen Lecce had to say yesterday was simply not true. But the bottom line is there are negotiations underway over the course of the weekend, and that is good news. But it does raise the questions, if we are still talking, why is it that we have now decided that no... We have to put the notice out that T-minus countdown, five days and counting now, until a one-day walkout for high school school teachers, and how much chaos that is going to create right across this province. Well, here is Stephen Lecce, the minister responsible, saying that, listen, no, I told the mediator we want to talk. I instructed my negotiator today to offer additional days to incent them to stay at the table. And notwithstanding those offers that were being made in real time, this decision has been made to escalate. And the singular victim of this decision are kids. The decision has been made to escalate. And the reasoning for this that the union keeps giving is that, well, we just simply cannot get a deal without this. That if there's no pressure, then there's no 
movement on the side of the government. The only way the government is going to bargain is if we put the pressure and increase the pressure and then actually impact students. I want to play this for you. This is what happened when Stephen Lecce, the education minister, left a press conference earlier in the week. Mr. Lecce is in a car. All ministers get uh, government cars. That's how it works here in this province. And as the car pulls away from the event, these are teachers and union members crowding around the vehicle and chanting at Stephen Lecce. The Premier was asked about this yesterday. Here's what Doug Ford had to say about it. Uh, I just find it ironic that, uh, you know, we're we're, we're passing uh, things on, on bullying and he was surrounded. When, when you, if someone surrounded your car and went and let you out and were screaming things at you, would you think it's bullying? That is Premier Doug Ford. I, I don't think anybody thinks that the education minister was being bullied in the terms that we think about bullying with kids. I, I don't think that's what we're talking about. Also, what have you done with Doug Ford? Who are you and what have you done with Doug Ford? Because the Doug Ford pre, you know, June of this year would have gone off the rails about union bosses and all the rest of it. But it's also very conciliatory. I'm having a hard time keeping up. But here is more of Harvey Bischoff, the head of OSSTF. This is from the Thursday night press conference, late Thursday night, pardon me, late Thursday afternoon. And here, this is kind of illustrates my point about how the union has really decided in this case to get very personal, up and personal, with this Minister of Education. When the Minister talks about being the one looking out for students, the evidence is entirely the opposite. Today we came to bargain on behalf of teachers in the eight month of bargaining. What the Crown brought to the table today was absolutely nothing. Not one single proposal to place on the table, even after we had begun a very mild withdrawal of services and some political action. It was clear that they were utterly unprepared to bargain. That is Harvey Bischoff, the head of OSSTF, saying that the government is not bargaining, even with mild uh, labor disruption, with the withdrawal of some sort of of some services. Uh, but now that they have to do this, and did you hear that off the top? You know, the, 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 oh, the Minister of Education says he's looking out for kids. He's not looking out for kids. We're looking out for the kids. We're, for, we're in it for the kids. Not them. Countdown is on. We'll have to see how this plays out. Stay with us here on Global News for more on that and more analysis on it, because I think it is so important when you listen to what is being said by both sides it takes a lot of reading between the lines to get to some kind of truth. It is clear there is bad blood at the table. And here's my assessment of this, is that it seems like the union has forgotten that there's been a cabinet shuffle. This is not Lisa Thompson, the former Minister of Education, that they are dealing with anymore. And trying to demonize Stephen Lecce and say, well, he doesn't care and he's out of his depth and he's duplicitous and all the rest of it, because that is what the union is saying. That's going to backfire on them. Because Mr. Lecce, whether you believe him or not, whether you agree with him or not, he is much smoother and he is much more adept at communication than his predecessor. And I think the union is wrong-footed on that one.
Let's move to the energy minister, Greg Rickford, who yesterday, I don't know if you've been following this controversy with Mr. Rickford, with the minister of energy. Basically what happened is Greg Rickford stood up in the House earlier this week and actually quoted from a blog that is totally anti-climate change, a climate change denial blog. And he quoted from this publication in the House. And so there has been controversy over that. And what is it that you actually believe, Minister of Energy of Ontario? Do you actually think that climate change is man-made? Well, yesterday, when the minister emerged from the House, he basically, he walked up to the microphone, he took one question and said this. I believe in climate change, and I believe it's as a consequence of human activity. Thank you for this. And with that, he just walked away. And that was that. So if the minister thinks that that kind of action is going to extinguish the flames of this controversy, he just chucked a can of gas on it. Because that, all that did is get everybody like, well, what is that all about? You can't stay in here and just take a bit of a kind of a mild mea culpa. Like, look, I don't believe in that. I think that the, you know, the thing that I was reading illustrated some other point, but I don't, you you know, it's not hard. It's not hard to snuff this thing out, but Rickford doesn't want to do that for some reason. And here's the opposition. Here, first of all, the energy critic for the NDP and then the leader of the Green Party. I don't particularly believe that he understands the issue or is willing to talk the truth to the public. Um, I think he's an embarrassment to this government. Premier needs to explain to the people of Ontario why he has a Minister of Energy citing debunk junk science to justify his decisions. That is Mike Schreiner, the leader of the Green Party, and before him, Peter Tabbins, who is the energy critic for the NDP, all complaining about Greg Rickford, the Minister of Energy for this province, who stood up in the House, in the House of the Legislature, and quoted from a climate denial blog and has not addressed it at all. He was repeatedly asked in the House, what do you believe? He would not answer it, and then he comes out and has that little nine-second clip and wanders off, and they wonder why they have a problem in that portfolio. Black Friday sales are so chaotic, they're actually impacting traffic all around the city. You heard that in the traffic report just there. Black Friday is upon us. A decade, maybe two decades ago in this country, we would say, what? Who? It's, it's Friday. I got to go to work. What are you talking about? And a black, black Friday, doesn't, it's not that bad out. So what, what are you talking about? But now, of course, it becomes just part of our vernacular. And now it is going to eclipse Boxing Day. And thank goodness for that. Only in Canada would we have all the deals after Christmas. You know? Just, hey, listen, we're going to have Christmas on the 27th this year so we can take advantage of the deals. The Americans have it right. Give us the deals before we need to give the gifts. Well, Camille Caramali from Global News had a ringside seat this morning as all the madness unfolded. Now, it's not the kind of chaos that we often have seen south of the border, people pouring into the stores, rushing in, lining up early. But still, there were those that were there at the crack of crack of dawn. 
We spoke to some of the people in the front of the line and they had been there since maybe about 4, 4.30 a.m., That the people in the front of the line at least. But they're already back out because uh, things have calmed down a little bit here. All it took was about an hour for people to really grab and get what they wanted and uh, just pay for it and head right back out. So it looks like these shoppers at least knew exactly what they wanted. You get in, you get out, nobody gets hurt. That's how that's done. What are people shopping for? Well, this kind of thing, you know, when they have these sales like this, what do you want? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, give me some of that sweet, sweet tech. So I got a TV, 55 inch, and QLED, and as well as a sound bar. Okay, and how long were you waiting in line for to get in? Oh, it was just a few minutes. We just came in about uh, five minutes earlier. The door was open, and we were already here. So we came in, we had our elbows up, we grabbed the sound bar, we bashed an old lady over the head with it, and we went right to the cash. We got out. Almost nobody got hurt. You know that Canadians spend about 800 bucks on average today? 800 bones today out the window. And Ontarians, right here in Upper Canada, we spend more than most. We spend about a grand. Quebecers, they spend the least, about 500 bucks. Here's marketing expert Jason Furlano talking about how Canadians have embraced Black Friday. So it is officially in Canada surpassed Boxing Day in terms of the busiest shopping day of the year. About 53% of Canadians today are doing it online though, which is the reason you're seeing these stores a little empty. 30% of us have decided to brave the cold, the lineups and the uh, and the weather to, to try and get in store to get the deals, but we're noticing that it's not really necessary anymore. No, you don't have to uh, you don't have to go and line up like a chump. You don't have to do that. But we still do some of us. We love that. And we love the idea of getting a deal. Here's more on Black Friday in Canada. Michael LeBlanc, a senior retail advisor with the Retail Council of Canada, says one of the major reasons for the move is it gives consumers the chance to secure deals on presents rather than shopping after the gift-giving season is over. The shift offers retailers a slight edge, but it also comes at the expense of other sales sprees in Canada, such as Boxing Day. According to a survey done for the council, 43% of respondents say they plan to purchase items today. That's up from 40% the previous year. Only 34% of respondents say they intend to shop on Boxing Day. Rob Westgate, The Canadian Press, Toronto. So there you have my point illustrated right there. Why would you go out on Boxing Day if you can get a deal now? And also, Boxing Day is not that thing anymore. It's like the deals happen all the time now. Retailers realize they just can't do this one-day thing, although Black Friday seems to be the exception on that. So do you suffer from a little bit of FOMO, a little fear of missing out on all of this? Fascinating article by Callum Marsh in the National Post this week. He writes, what drives consumers to pursue sales with such fervor? Well, the psychology of discounts has been well documented. Occasions such as Black Friday exploit two characteristics of human behavior simultaneously. The desire for pleasure and the avoidance of pain. We seek deals because they offer the allure of the exclusive and the desirable. Conversely, we are anxious to take advantage while the sale lasts because we want to avoid losing out by squandering a rare opportunity. Black Friday, we are emphatically reminded, comes around only once a year. Supplies are limited. Act now. Don't delay. Miss this and you'll live to regret it. Whether Black Friday deals really are so rare or valuable is irrelevant. 
We've all seen the bargain we scored even more heavily discounted the week after Christmas. What matters is the impression an event such as Black Friday creates. It produces a sense of urgency, and we are powerfully drawn to seize the day. That is Callum Marsh writing in the National Post. Here's consumer savings expert Andrea Warwick on more of FOMO. The earlier a retailer starts pushing holiday sales, the greater the urgency they create among shoppers. So when a shopper sees something on sale, they feel the sense of urgency that they need to snag it at that time or they're going to miss out. For more on this, I am joined by Professor David Soberman, who is a retail industry specialist at the Rotman School of Management. David, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Do you suffer from Black Friday fear of missing out? Well, as a marketer, I'm definitely like um, watching the numbers and uh, seeing how the uh, event um, evolves, both in Canada and the U.S. Um, I myself am not really in any hurry to go and uh, stand in line or get uh, stampeded by <laughs> the, the way that it seems in many shopping malls today. You likely heard my preamble there. Is this psychology of both uh, avoidance of pain and a reward, is that at play here that we as humans just feel driven to this in terms of we just don't want to miss out on what we perceive as a deal? Well, I think a lot of people, obviously, when they um, are paying for something, they also feel pain in terms of the amount that something costs them. So there's actually two um, aspects of avoiding pain that um, Black Friday capitalizes on. Um, One is the pain of pain because you believe that you're paying less. And so because the pain part of any purchase is the painful part, you're reducing that pain. And the other one, as correctly pointed out um, in that article in the National Post, is that when you hear about people getting that 50-inch flat-screen TV for $180 and you know that your last one you paid 700 and you want to get it for less, you are worried that by not having gone to the mall on that day, you missed the opportunity to get such a deal yourself. So those two things are definitely there. And then, of course, there is... The, the glee and the happiness that you feel when you've got something that you really like and you get a good deal. And I think we all can sort of recognize that. When we've made a deal, when we've got something that we want and we got it at a price less than we expected, we feel pretty good. So there's a lot of psychology that goes on behind why Black Friday is successful. I'm speaking with Professor David Soberman from the Rotman School of Management about Black Friday. Does Black Friday encourage overconsumption? We feel, you talk about the things that we want, well, what about the things we don't actually need but we just feel compelled to buy? Well, that's hard to say because you're getting into a very subjective area. What is overconsumption? I think that people make choices that are consistent with their preferences and when they go to stores and they buy things, it's because they want them. That's the way I look at it. Now, admittedly, people... Some people have a problem of acquiring too many things. In fact, you go into some people's house and you can hardly move because of all the stuff that's in there. But as I said before, I think people, I mean, the the best barometer of what people want is their behavior. Um, I think that obviously shopping itself is something that 
can be a problem. I mean, there's people that can become addicted to it or can do it as a way of buffering or avoiding problems, but I don't really think that that is what Black Friday is about. With this year, and I I don't think it's exactly this year, but definitely the stats show that now this year Black Friday will eclipse Boxing Day, will my son, who is 11, will I, in my dotage, tell him about how we used to all go to the malls the day after Christmas, and he will just look at me and think, I've never heard of that, why would you have ever done that? Well, it is true. There's a constant evolution in the um, retail marketplace, and it is very interesting to see how Black Friday has become such a big shopping event. Um, You know, if you go back 20 or 30 years ago, um, American Thanksgiving was on the same day, and um, people used to watch football, but and there was some shopping on, on Friday, but retailers realized that a lot of people were taking that day off from work so that they could have a, a four-day holiday without really using up a significant amount of their uh, vacation when they were working. And so once you've done that, you realize that people are around, and because they're going to generally be at home because of Thanksgiving, what are they going to do on that Friday? Well, retailers got the idea. Let's make this into a big shopping day, and it's really sort of caught on. And by virtue of the fact that Canada is cheek-to-jowl with the U.S., I mean, most Canadians live within a couple hundred miles of the border, um, and also because of the commonality of the media that we watch, I mean, Black Friday became a really big opportunity for Canadian retailers, and we've adopted it, despite the fact that our Thanksgiving is still at the beginning of October. So it is really interesting how in Canada it's become a really big deal, even without the Thanksgiving break on the Thursday. You think Boxing Day is done for? It's just going to wither away? Well, I mean, that's hard to say, too. We know that one of the biggest season of the year, I mean, we're talking about one day here, but if you're talking about the biggest shopping period of weeks, it's the, it's the period of weeks prior to Christmas because people are buying gifts. And one of the realities of uh, retailing is that you can't perfectly predict demand, which means you're going to stock out on some things and you're going to have oversupply of others. And boxing, I mean, that's sort of the origins of Boxing Day when you go back even to um, actually 19th century England is, I think, where it, it started. And uh, the whole point there is that uh, stores still need to get rid of excess merchandise. So I don't think it's ever going to disappear completely, but I think at the same time, you're going to see that Black that Black Friday continues to probably grow and will become a more significant holiday because it's sort of a planned holiday, whereas, in other words, Boxing Day, people have already been buying. You know, by the time you get to Christmas, people maybe are getting close to being shopped out. Now, they will still go to store for deals, but because the deals are really driven as opposed to by strategy, they're more driven by... Um, demand and fluctuations in demand, the likelihood of you getting the thing that you really want and finding it on Boxing Day is probably a lot lower than on Black Friday, which is, I think, what's make, which is that's perhaps what lies behind the increasing popularity of Black Friday. Professor David Soberman is retail industry specialist at the Rotman School of Management. A fascinating conversation. Thank you, David. Appreciate you being on the program. 
It's my pleasure, and good luck with the rest of your program. <laughs> Thank you. I thought you were going to say good luck with shopping, but appreciate that. Thank you. I wanted to be careful. <laughs> We have breaking news coming out of Calgary. Bill Peters is no longer the coach of the Calgary Flames, and the general manager of the Calgary Flames is currently holding a press conference. Let's go to that live. Over the next few minutes here is just give you an overview of the timeline of events the last three or four days, Um, give you some insight into what's taken place, Please bear with me and please understand that there's information that I can't get into. There may be questions that I cannot answer. Uh, But as we've attempted to do throughout this process, we'd like to be as open, honest, and transparent as possible. On November 25th in Pittsburgh, uh, during the game, I was made aware of a tweet on social media from Akeem Alou. Post-game, I immediately met with the media, uh, informed them that we were aware of the allegations, obviously something that we take very, very seriously, and that we would immediately begin a review uh, of the entire incident and issue. Post-game, prior to departing to Buffalo, I made a call and contacted Akeem Alou which was the first of two conversations that I had with Akeem throughout this review. On the plane, we were going from, where were we going? We were going from Pittsburgh to Buffalo. I sat with Bill um, and questioned him about the the incident in question and had a long conversation with Bill traveling to, to Buffalo. Once we arrived at Buffalo, I met with my staff, uh, communications staff, management staff that was in attendance, and we put together um, an action plan of how we would move forward. You were listening to a press conference in Calgary. The general managers, uh, general manager, pardon me, of the Calgary Flames, Brad Traveling, talking about the fact that Bill Peters is no longer the head coach of the Calgary Flames. Apparently, he has handed in his resignation. It is unclear as to whether he was fired or resigned or asked to resign. Difficult to know exactly. But that controversy had been developing since Monday night when former NHL player Akeem Alou tweeted that racism was directed towards him by the former coach back in '09 when he was with the American Hockey League's Rockford Ice Hogs. Again... Peters, Bill Peters, no longer the head coach of the Calgary Flames. That is a developing situation. We'll stay on top of that here on Global News Radio. Welcome back to the program. I want to start with a quick story about anti-slap legislation. If I said, I'm going to lay a little bit of anti-slap on you, what is what in the world does that mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it means. SLAP is a acronym for a strategic lawsuit against public participation. It's a fancy way of saying that corporations that have deep pockets can then sue somebody and say, I'll sue you, and that shuts them up. 
Well, we have legislation that tries to prohibit that kind of thing, and we have a ruling using the anti-slap legislation today, where an Ontario court has now dismissed a lawsuit filed by Subway against the CBC over a report on the content of its chicken sandwiches. But legal action against the lab that tested the products can still proceed. However, that lawsuit against the CBC has been dismissed. Subway sued both CBC and Trent University, which runs the lab, for defamation over a February 2017 broadcast on Marketplace and accompanying online publications all about the chain's Canadian chicken products, The report claimed to find only 50% chicken DNA in the Subway chicken sandwiches with as much soy and other stuff in there. So it may taste like chicken, but it possibly is not chicken. But that is so interesting that now we've had anti-slap legislation actually used in this province to say, no, you cannot sue a broadcaster, you cannot sue a journalist to just try and shut them up. Can't be done. Shall we talk culture? Shall we talk entertainment? Everybody get their pinkies out. Laura Hensley with Global Online and Mira Estrada, the host of Cultured, which airs right here on this radio station, are my regular Friday guests, and here they are in studio. Hello. So great to have you guys here. Thank you so much. Let's begin, shall we? Hey, listen, listen. Thank you. With Simon (laughs) Cowell. And apparently, if I get this news story correctly, Simon Cowell is a jerk. That's a bit of the story. Is that the story? What, Mira, tell me what is the story. So, um, it goes a little bit deeper than that. So, Gabrielle Union um, was the newly minted judge on America's Got Talent in its 14th season. She was supposed to be on for three seasons. But her contract has not been renewed for the 15th season. And there were reports that she complained. Simon Cowell apparently was smoking a lot all over the place on set. She'd complained about that. Shameful. Right. Um, there were um, comments about her hairstyles being quote, too black. Um, a lot of uh, comments and notes given to her about her appearance. Um, and when, whatever she spoke up uh, as well, um, there was an uh, incident where Jay Leno had been a guest and he had made um, some, um, it was some sort of, r- racial comment it's about a joke korean man, about a korean it? yeah a korean something to do with dog food and when she spoke up about that she was basically called out as being difficult and just for speaking up about things that she felt made for a toxic unpleasant workplace laura what's the takeaway from this story i think it's really ironic that nbc is allowing someone like Gabrielle Union to no longer be on the show because she supposedly spoke her mind. You know, Simon Cowell has so much control over America's Got Talent that he's smoking indoors, which is illegal, and she's allergic (laughs) to cigarette smoke, and she's too difficult. So I think it just really highlights double standards. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really glad that so many people have spoken up in support, like Ellen Pompeo, Deborah Messing, Jamila Julia. People, so Deborah Messing and Jamila Julia actually have shows on NBC, so it's great that they've actually said this is our home, but um, you know we're sort of standing with Gabrielle Union that this is not okay. With the culture change, you know, not only with in terms of sexism, but just with bullying and just sort of abusive behavior within the workplace, I'm, I'm sort of surprised something like this hasn't come out previously about Mr. Cowell. 
I think he's known to be a jerk. Like, I think anyone who's worked with him has said those things. But I think it just shows how much power he has, that someone like Gabrielle Union has to essentially no longer work at her job because he is still in a position of authority over her. And um, when you when you look at it like that, even someone like Gabrielle Union, what about people that aren't Gabrielle Union, right? that are just everyday Miras? What if I want to speak up? Where am I going to end up? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it sort of speaks to a bigger issue. Yeah, but I think it's really good that celebrities are coming forward. Like Ellen Pompeo has sort of said, it's not just people of color that have to speak about this, but all women, especially white women in Hollywood, you can't just sit back and say, oh, this problem doesn't involve me because it involves everyone, you know? Silent Cowell is a jerk. All right. So, I mean... <laughs> That's and, the takeaway. That is the takeaway, but I guess perhaps it might have more resonance than that. Let's yeah. move back to T.I. because mm-hmm. this whole virginity check thing is back on our minds again, and I'm not really happy about it, but what did he have to say this week? So he was on Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, it was a two-parter because he had a lot to say. I think he sort of put his foot in his mouth again saying, hey, when she mentioned some of the other patriarchies, what's he's like, well, what's that? <laughs> um, so it, it was the, the first time I watched it, I was like, Oh, can't stand this guy. I watched it again, though, and I was actually glad Jada sort of walked him through some things. I think she schooled him a bit. As a parent, I think you might have appreciated this as well. It also forced me to take a step back and think, whoa, how am I going to have these conversations with my kids, both male and female, about um, sexuality? And, like, it also made me think, it seems the norm now that we we talk about um, having conversations with our kids and safe sex and like virginity seems like something some now virginity seems like something that's so taboo and why can't virginity be something that's normalized as well like we're talking about fifteen like fourteen fifteen year olds and but in, it, in terms of ti what we're no, really talking the TI, about so not the ti thing it just sort yeah. of made me think about the bigger conversation as about, well and like what parent the conversations we need to have with our kids and how what conversations are we having with our children right L- ti Lawrence, is on a next level i'm not supporting level, anything <laughs> that he's saying but at all please he, don't get he me he managed to put this behind him a little bit i mean i don't think he's going to win any parenting awards based on these comments <laughs> but i do think at least he said i do not understand the patriarchy i do not understand feminism <laughs> he didn't really understand what feminism was and i think this conversation although it was very cringeworthy at least he was open to listening like Jada Pinkett Smith was saying hey listen you need to learn about this and he was like okay okay so there was at least a dialogue but it just really highlighted to me the disconnect you know with someone like T.I. of an older generation and what his daughter might be experiencing as an 18 year old they're in two different worlds yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. The weird thing is, I think Ti's given, uh, you know, has done us, us all a service because I know when this first broke out, we actually on Global News put a segment on talking about the hymen on the on the evening news. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, this is not a conversation we normally would have. Right. But I think it's, I mean... It's, that's I think what I'm saying, right? So yeah. like, I feel like the good in it is sort of made us all think about, but hey, think what are about, the conversations sure. we're going to have with our kids? And yeah. Drake. <laughs> Let's move on to Drake. And Drake apparently is dating and is creepy. Am yeah. I right? <laughs> I... You're giving very great top line uh, sure. takeaways well, here. This is, this is what I do. I give you the headline. So, Laura, tell me about this. I have 
perhaps an unpopular opinion, but I am not a Drake fan. I have thought he has creepy tendencies for a long time. I think it started around when we learned he was texting a 14-year-old Millie Bobby Brown. Drake is 33. To me, it's strange to be texting a a teenager, and now he's apparently texting 17-year-old Billie Eilish. So, you know, the idea that he likes younger women is slowly coming out, and Kylie Jenner, if they're dating or they're not, she's in her 20s. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, she's sort of like on a breakish from Travis Scott, who she has a young child with. And he said, I want a no strings attached. Like basically he wants to fool around with her. And that's fine. They're both grown adults. It's just, yeah, he's a creeper. Sorry, is Drake. He, but is he, is he creepy because of the age difference? Obviously, uh, you know, uh, yeah, underage. Underage is, yes. is not just creepy. It's illegal. Right. Right. <laughs> but when we start talking about Drake's 33 and maybe he's dating a woman who's 13 years younger than him, is that is that acceptable? You can do... I don't think it's creepy if he's dating Kylie Jenner. I, I really don't have an issue with that. I think my issue is sort of the idea that he texts girls. And there was also an incident, I forget, it was a few years ago, where there was a young woman on stage, and he asked her her oh, age. Yes. And she was under 18. And then when she said it, and he was like, oh, you're going to get me in trouble, but he still continued on stage. Yeah, he's now starting to slowly show more and more creepy tendencies. So Kylie Jenner's the least of my concerns when it comes to Drake. I just think that... He has some things we should be aware of. All right, we're, al- we're almost out of time, but I do want to uh, get on to this one because we've had a lot of conversations about hockey this week. Obviously, the firing now of the coach, or at least the resignation of the coach of the Calgary Flames, which we talked about in the last half hour. I'm just going to say two words and you go. Puck bunny. Conversation that we need to have. I think now that we're looking at sexism and racism and homophobia in hockey, we need to talk about the way that hockey culture sees women and the way that a lot of hockey players view and treat women and the notion of a puck bunny if you're not familiar with it is basically a girl who hangs around hockey players is sort of arm candy or dates them um i think is problematic and it just sort of highlights that sexist culture Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of issues in hockey that we need to talk about it. <laughs> 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 Maybe we should just leave it there. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys being here with us. It's Laura Hensley from Global Online. You can read her work on globalnews.ca. And Mira Estrada, who is the host of Cultured, which is a radio program that runs here on this radio station. Always great to have you guys in. Thank you so much. And thank you, too, for joining me again this hour and for this week. It's been fun. <laughs>